Turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now we have found throughout uh, the book of Acts, excuse me, there are some practices and events that are normative, not only for the church in Acts and the church of the first century, uh, but for the church of all time. And but I, what I mean by that is that practices that should be instituted, such as the exposition of the word, uh, singing, uh, praying, baptizing the Lord's Supper, etc. And I am sure that you will find to your relief the practice of a sermon lasting the better part of 12 hours is not normative uh, for the church today. Because that's what we find here in Acts chapter 20. It is a sermon and, and a, 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 a time of the exposition of the word that goes on for quite some time. Now, that is not to say that if not requested, we could not have a sermon lasting 12 hours. I cannot uh, guarantee that uh, outside of, of the word and how good that would be, that, that I would be interesting for 12 hours... Uh, it's tough enough for 30 minutes sometimes, but uh, it is the Word of God, and that's what is important. It is the Word of God, and that's what is important. Now, over the last 2,000 years, the church has seen a trend in, uh, or, or a variety of trends within the, the length of a sermon. I guess that's, that's the only way to put it. Uh, it has gone from as short as five minutes, and that would be... Uh, much of a like a canned message that was sent out to a variety of churches within the denomination, and a certain on a certain day uh, in the year, you would preach that sermon, and that would be uh, five or six minutes long, and that's would all it would be. Uh, to the average Puritan sermon, uh, the average Puritan sermon lasted at least ninety minutes, and that would be in the morning, and then everybody would come back in the afternoon for another go round. Okay. Um, I regularly, in the modern church today, it varies. I regularly read sermons from pastors and theologians that that I have great respect for. Some last 12 minutes, some last 50 minutes. It all depends on their context and what... um, uh, I just just praise God for the generosity of the people who who have given the pads on the pews. Okay, because the mind can only absorb what the uh, uh, body can take. How about that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Paul preaches a sermon. It lasts about 12 hours, and for for a brief break to raise the dead and to have the Lord's Supper, it, it just goes on, and it goes on. So if you're able, would you stand with me, and we'll read this passage from Acts chapter 20. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us today that we would see the import of your word, but also the power that is there with it, Lord. And the fact that this is one of those things, that that your word is is to satisfy us, and it is to give us strength and to give us guidance, Lord. So come upon us, we pray, that we might understand these things, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. So from Acts chapter 20, I will read verses 1 through 12. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and had taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. 
And there he spent three months, and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and of Aristocrus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derb, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Aren't you glad I had to read those and not you? Okay. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. And on the first day of the week, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting in the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. Let this be a reminder. (laughs) But... Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, it's not long ago that preaching was was uh, ceased to be taught in seminaries, in, in many seminaries in this country. It was uh, seen as a poor way to communicate. People were no longer interested in sitting and listening, even for the standard, you know, 12-minute good old Presbyterian sermon. Uh, there, were, there were other viable opportunities, they felt, such as storytelling and sharing and, and you know, movies. And, l- and let me tell you, I was at a conference full of preachers. Okay? And we went to this church and, 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 and for a Wednesday night service, and the church is designed so that the pulpit is, is at least this high, and it is a massive wooden structure. And um, I'm sitting there next to a guy that, that I, I'd never met before, and he, he said um, he came from a different school than I did. How about that? And he said, look at that. You can tell, tell this is all power-oriented here. I mean, look, look how high that pulpit is and everything. You know, I got rid of that at my church, and, and I come down, and, and I get on the floor, and, and I, just, I just share from my heart. And I went, well, that's, that's fabulous. The preacher who was a Ph.D. in uh, some theology, and, and I, I know him as a great guy, he stood up, and the first thing that came out of his mouth was, beware of those who remove the pulpit and get down on the floor and share. It was, it was providence. You could, you could see this guy just melt who's sitting next to me, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was, you know. So, you know, sometimes the Lord puts a little velvet on the brick before he smashes us. And, and sometimes he doesn't. And he just wham and just hits us with it. Okay. Well, uh, so, the, but uh, I'm glad to say that, that preaching, especially in the Reformed Church, has seen this, this resurgence, and, and not just 
preaching, for, for anything but expository preaching. That is taking a passage and going through verse by verse. That's mostly what you get here at Central uh, because we see things from Scripture that are mandates about the importance of this word. Let me read just a couple passages. From Jude 3, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints in the word. Everything pertaining to life and goodness is found in the word from Peter. According to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from where? The scriptures. He also says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He exhorts us to give attention to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation and teaching, and reminds Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. See, the proclamation and exposition of the scriptures cannot be driven by culture, It cannot be driven by the marketplace, and it cannot even be driven by personal preference, okay? We call it exposition. We read out of, exo, out of the word. The the, the alternative to that is isogesis, which is into. That means I come with my agenda, and I read into what God's word says, what I want it to mean. We can never do that. It's exposition, what Because God's word say, and it comes out of it, then into our hearts. It is the very word of God, so we study it as such, and we place ourselves under its authority and submission to what it says and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's go to the passage. Here we see that while the ride in Ephesus that that has taken place that we saw last week is kind of quelled and, and eased up, and Paul is making his way out of the city, and he's heading towards Jerusalem. That's his eventual destination because he's, he's, uh, while he goes to these cities, he's collecting an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and therefore, as he references a couple places, Greece is a reference to the general area of uh, Achaia, and particularly Corinth, where he had spent some of those three months. So he gives us an overview of his time in this travel and who he was with, And eventually he gets to where he needs to go, and that's Troas here, and that's where we pick up in verse 7. In verse 7. Now, he says, On the first day of the week we gathered together to break bread. So they were gathering together for the purpose of breaking bread. And when they gathered together, there's also, because Paul's there, the exposition of the word. They were being taught the things of the word. Now, Paul would take the Old Testament and he would take the life of Christ and show the fulfillment of the scriptures in in the life of Christ and then make the application how they were supposed to live because of these things. Well, here we see, in particular, it says on the first day of the week. Now, why is this important? Because Sunday is the what? First day of the week. Okay. Now, growing up, if, if, if you were here in the New Testament and you were a Jewish convert, you had grown up under Judaism and you worshipped on the Sabbath, which was the last day of the week. Is that me? Oh, sorry. <laughs> on the last day of the week, which was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Okay, and then we'll talk more about that in just a second. 
So the word of God is to be expounded. Now, why on the first day of the week? Oh, you know, a little thing like the resurrection happened on the first day of the week and the, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the first day of the week. So this was the Lord's Day, and this now becomes the norm within the New Testament church. Uh, let's turn over to Gospel of John, chapter 20, back just a few pages. And we'll read uh, just a little bit about what it says here. Now, there are several times when the Lord appears after his resurrection where uh, we see that they are gathered together to worship or list specifically the first day of the week. Um, so John chapter 20, verse 19 This is, uh, deals with the resurrection. Uh, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So the doors were closed. He appears there in his resurrected body on the first day of the week when they had gathered together. We also see a reference to this uh, as he meets again later in the chapter. Uh, so the first day of the week becomes the day of resurrection, the Lord's Day. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul assumes that the believers are gathering together on the first day of the week. And I'll just read this to you. When you come together on the first day of the week, that's the time to bring your offerings. So as the church began to spread out in the early 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, the writings of the early church fathers always point to gathering together on the first day of the week, what we would call Sunday. Now, back in uh, Acts 20, there is some discussion whether this event is taking place on Saturday night, from Saturday into Sunday. Remember, the Jewish calendar went from, from sundown to sunup, uh, you know, sun, or sundown to sundown. That was their 24-hour day. And the Roman calendar, went, or the Roman clock, so to speak, went from midnight to midnight. Um, so that, that's a little bit too too deep for us today understand that this happened on sunday okay well sometime during sunday this is what is going on here okay uh, now the new testament does not command sabbath keeping okay it appears to be strictly in the uh, mosaic covenant and, and from the old testament although paul paul warned the the gentile church of many things the new testament church of many things he did not mention breaking the Sabbath. And, and the Jerusalem Council did not say when they gave the uh, Gentile converts things that they needed to do, keeping the Sabbath was not necessarily one of those things. Uh, it is important that we understand Sunday and the purpose of why it is here that we are to worship our Heavenly Father. Uh, you'll notice that if we look at... Uh, uh, we get, and I use this as a basic illustration, where we get our year from, we get our year from what? How long it takes to go around the sun. Uh, we get our month from the moon. Uh, we get our day from the, the, the uh, what's that? Right, yeah, thank you. And we get our week from God, Genesis. Okay, we get it from God. Uh, it comes from Him because there's a day there for what? For rest and to devote to Him. 
now, should it be Sunday? Well, they talk about it in the New Testament as the first day of the week. That should be how we focus it. Uh, in our society, sometimes that is very hard, uh, but you need that time devoted to the worship of our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need a time to rest, okay, and to rest in him. So they gathered together on the first day to worship. Now, the question will be for us, what did they do when they gathered together to worship? Well, Luke sums it up here. When they worshiped together, they broke bread. They worshiped the crucified and risen Lord, both, okay? He was crucified and he was risen. We don't leave him in the grave, okay? Um, In high school, uh, in my senior year, we did the play Godspell. How does Godspell end? Anybody know that? The crucifixion, okay? The crucifixion. So what we did, and, and my, my, uh, the, the person who was directing it was the choir teacher, and she was a, a great woman of faith, and she said, um, we don't want, everybody else came in through the audience for the bowels. Jesus came in from the back of the stage, and that was as much resurrection as we could declare within, within the, the context of that, okay? We don't want to leave Jesus in the ground. We worship a risen Lord. A couple weeks we'll focus on that, right? It's that day called Easter, okay? Now, what were they doing? They were breaking bread together, a reference of the Lord's Supper. And apparently this is, uh, it happens maybe every time they get together. We see at least here it happens every, every Sunday that they get together. They are breaking bread. Now, part of me values that. Part of me wants to do that every week. Because I, I see the, the importance of that and um, that the grace that we find there. Now, we, we know it's bread and it's juice, but there's something that the Lord does to us in the midst of that. Uh, there's another part of me that says, knowing my sinfulness, that if we did it every week, what would be the danger? Uh, it, it just become rote, okay? And that's a danger, but whose problem is that? Yeah, it's my problem. It's, it's my heart problem. If my heart is ready, it can be special every day. I can focus upon it every day and go to the Lord and confess my sin and know that grace. Um, so it would be up to us and our hearts to be right before the Lord. We'll stick with once a month for now. So they met to worship the crucified and risen Lord, and they also meant to, met to be instructed from the Word of God. Now, Paul apparently preached in Troas, from sundown, we'll say from sundown until midnight. And then after the incident that we'll look at with Eutychus, he went back upstairs and talked to them. Now, this is a different word than, than the, uh, basically he preached for six hours in the evening. Eutychus falls asleep. They heal him. They share the Lord's Supper. They have a meal, and he goes back. And now it's more of a give and take, more of a question and answer time from, let's say, 1 o'clock until the sun comes up, another five hours or so, until daybreak. But see what the importance Paul placed on exhortation. Look at verse 1, chapter 20. And after the uproar had ceased, that was the riot, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, okay, exhorted them, and then go to the verse 2, when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, we're talking about exhorting them in the things of God's word, Um, that this was his emphasis. Now, uh, as I said, our text does not demand that every sermon be four, five, six, or 12 hours long. It does call us to exposit the word. 
A travelogue might be entertaining, but it won't do you any good. Okay? Psychology today might have some common sense things for us, but it won't do you what the good that the word will do you. This is what we study. Why? Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now remember, 2 Timothy is Paul's last writing uh, that we have. This is very close to the time that he was killed. Uh, He is in prison and he is uh, telling Timothy a variety of things uh, because this is important. This is the last time he's going to really communicate with him. It's the last writing we have. So in the last chapter uh, of the last writing we have with Paul, what do you think is important for him to communicate? Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. This is Paul's charge to his beloved son in Christ, Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready to do that. That is your call in this world. Okay? Now, back to Acts 20. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is not uh, mentioned too often. But the reformers especially uh, drew their, their application of it from this passage that the word should be preached and then the Lord's Supper administered. The word preached and seen and exposited and then the Lord's Supper administered. So uh, if, we, if we take the Lord's Supper to, to a shut-in or someone, we read the word first. We talk about the passage because it is the word that opens our eyes and the word that moves in our hearts. Um, the, the, the Lord's Supper is not some magic potion that, that suddenly does something in our life. It is when it is combined with the word of God. That's when we see the Lord work. So Paul begins to teach and he continues until uh, sometime around midnight And all they're doing is listening to Paul as he has been talking. He's been expounding the word, unfolding the riches of the glories of Christ. Okay, Taking the Old Testament, showing its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now Luke kind of emphasizes the length of this. Okay, And and Paul apparently spares no effort in teaching and trying to make sure that these people understand. Now why does he do that? Look at verse 25 of Acts 20. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. This is the last time Paul's going to have with these people. The last time he's going to have an opportunity to talk about the things of Christ with them. And he wants to make the most of that time. And what do the people do? Think of uh, the passage of 1 Peter. They long like babes, long for milk. You are supposed to long for the pure word of God. See, in the early church, it wasn't how to get people to come. It was how to get them to go home. Okay? 
Now they had Paul there and they're staying for 12 hours in that room listening to him and seeing the things of Christ unfolded before their eyes. Now, here we have this young man named Eutychus. Guess what his name means? Lucky. (laughs) Now we don't believe in luck. Okay, we don't believe in luck. Mm -hmm. Eutychus was lucky. Probably a boy, the word boy, 7 to 14 years of age. Uh, perhaps even a, a slave who worked in the household. Uh, and, and think of it, he's been working all day. There he is at night, and he's listening to Paul. And uh, look at verse 8. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. Okay, now, not these kind of lamps, but the lamps that burned and gave off some smoke. So if, if we were going to kind of paint a picture of that room, they're upstairs, they've been there a long time, they, they all have worked that day, and the lamps are burning, and it's kind of maybe a little hazy in the room, and you can see Eutychus getting over there by the window to catch a little air, and he thinks the cool air is blowing in, and, and uh, it's just all good, and before you know it, boom, he's gone. Now... That happens, doesn't it? Uh, it, just, it just happens. Sometimes you're, you're listening to something or you can be watching TV uh, or reading a book and all of a sudden you, your, your neck is sore and you wonder why. It's because you went boom like that and you were just out. My teachers used to hate that when it happened in school. You know, I said, well, it's, you know, it always happened after lunch for me. I, maybe you too. Okay? I got loaded up on carbs and I just went right to sleep. Okay? So Luke reminds us how serious this is because he falls out the window. Three floors, okay? Uh, Three floors is a long way down, and he hits it, and you can see Paul is is teaching, and all of a sudden they hear this. You know, you can see Paul, what was that? So he goes out and goes downstairs, and the boy is what? Luke, the doctor, says the boy is dead, okay? The boy is dead, overtaken by sleep, out the window, he is dead. Paul, in the likeness of uh, Elijah, um, or Elisha, goes down and lays himself upon the boys. It's in the first Kings, or second Kings uh, something, and Elisha goes down and he lays on top of the, this, this dead boy, and he actually puts his face right on him, he says he puts his mouth on him, and the boy comes back to life. So this is kind of reminiscent of what the prophet does. Paul goes down, he lays on the boy, and his life returns to him. And almost, it's almost mentioned casually. Let me, let me read it to you. Verse 9, there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep, fell down from the third floor, was picked up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and broken bread and eaten, I mean, it's just almost in passing. This rise, raising this young man from the dead is mentioned. Okay? It, it's not as if, remember 20, 20 verses last week on a riot. 20 verses on a riot. This week, one verse on raising this dead boy from, from the dead. The reason? Because that's just evidence of what Paul was preaching about. Okay, it wasn't the main event because raising raising 
young boys who had fallen out of the window would not be the sustaining factor in the church moving forward. What is the sustaining factor in the church moving forward? It is the exposition of the word. It is chewing on it. It is filling our lives with it and living it out. Sometimes those things happen when the Lord deems it appropriate for his body. But it is the word that will sustain us. The word which will sustain us. Now, miracles don't happen that often. You think of all the pages in the New Testament. After Christ ascends, there are miracles listed. In fact, the rising of the dead occurs just, I think, five times. Uh, We see Peter and and Dorcas. Uh, It's usually a demonstration of the kingdom's power. Paul said in Philippians, what? I pray that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I think Paul knew that. I wonder how often Paul used that as an illustration. Okay? Just kind of in passing. Oh, yeah. Remember that day we raised Eutychus from the dead? Man, that was great. You know, we were studying the word and preaching. He, he passed out and, and died right there and he just rose him up. What did we do after that? Oh, we went back to teaching. Went back to teaching. See, there is a sleep pervades the lives of those even within the church today. And it's a sleep far worse than the sleep that Eutychus was in. Okay, It's a sleep of those that find a security in their own self, a security in their pride, a perceived lack of the need of Christ or a satisfaction in their own level of understanding, in their own level of wisdom. And we can be asleep in the midst of religion, We can be asleep in the midst of church. We can be asleep in the midst of a good church. We can be asleep in the midst of our conviction that we have done great things for the Lord and he will bless us because of those things. We can be asleep while we observe the Lord's Supper. We can be asleep on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection. We can be asleep Sunday after Sunday and the conviction that I was baptized and I've taken the Lord's Supper and I go to church all the time and my salvation is secure, but the danger is that we're asleep in that, that it is not alive in our hearts. It is not what we live for. It is not the thing that has changed us completely. I mean, there is every church, every church there are people who are asleep in there, that they just don't understand. They've heard the message, but it is not penetrated their minds and their hearts. For some reason, part of them is asleep. Perhaps it's sin or pride that keeps their eyes closed. There's one little phrase that comes from Scripture. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and let Christ shine upon you. So if you're asleep today, these are the words. It's time to wake up, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to know him and the forgiveness that he offers. So let's pray. Lord, the things of Christ are more than we can imagine. His love for us, the sacrifice to leave your right hand and come into this world and live a sinless life, And to give that life for us when when we hated you, when we were your enemies, when we were still in our sin, that's when Christ gave his life for us. That through the shedding of his blood, 
through his sacrifice, our sins might be cleansed. And, and, and Lord, it's, it's so difficult to understand what that means in our society sometimes. What do you mean, my sins? For we are separated from you. And it's not until you open our eyes to that that we fully understand. Come upon us today, Lord, that we might be touched right to our core today. That we might understand the depth of that separation and the graciousness that you extend to us in Christ. For we offended you with our sin, but you're the one who has made a way for that offense to be covered. And you have done the work. And now you call us unto yourself, Lord. You draw us unto yourself that we might know the things of Christ. That we might know his forgiveness. That we might know the new life that comes only in him. Heavenly Father, come upon us today. That if there are those here today, Lord, who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that their lives would forever be changed today. That there would be this longing in their heart that they cannot deny. Because it is a call from you. And for those of us, Lord, who, who are believers, let us not be asleep in that. Let us be diligent in the means of grace and diligent in the things that you call us to do, that the things of Christ would be declared in what we say and what we do. For we pray this in his name. Amen.